Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead better where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. What kind of questions are troubling your young people as they decide whether to follow Christianity and share their faith with their friends? And more importantly, would you know how to help them? I'm joined this week by Ruth Jackson, the Deputy Editor of Premier's Youth and Children's Work magazine, a newly combined title, and Head of Youth Apologetics at Premier Radio, whose CV includes working with BBC's Blue Peter and Ravi Zacharias Ministries. We're going to be looking at actual questions asked by young people and how as Christians in leadership we can help them develop their faith. So welcome Ruth. Hiya. Good to, good to have you along. Uh, your interest in ap- apologetics started when? So I'm a vicar's kid, so I grew up in the church, mm. firmly entrenched in the church, and um, it wasn't like I was just borrowing my parents' faith. I definitely sort of had it for, for myself. But when I was a teenager, one of my friend's parents committed suicide, and wow. I remember that just totally shook my world mm. up. And I started reading loads around suffering and kind of why mm. God would let that happen and all of that. So I guess I didn't know that it was apologetics at mm. the time, but but that was that was sort of my first foray into it. And then I studied theology at Oxford and I just met the most clever people who weren't Christians and who had all these amazing questions about God and science and suffering and all of these, what I didn't realise at the time, were apologetics questions. So I was kind of engaging with apologetics mm. and reading all around the subject without ever realising that it was apologetics Um I mean, given that I was studying theology, I probably could have figured it out from the Greek word. Um, but then, and then I started working for the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. And that was when I was like, ah, this is apologetics. This is kind of what I've ah. been doing for a long time. But now I've got a name for it. So and Listeners will know, of course, of Blue Peter. And you, you connected to the show at some point on the BBC's? Yeah, that's right. So my first job at the BBC wasn't at Blue Peter, but I ended up there fairly, fairly quickly. And I did lots of different things at Blue Peter, sort of filming and working in the studio, um, going out on shoots. Um, but my main job really was sort of coming up with ideas for the show, which oh, okay. is, I mean, it's literally the dream job. Yeah. So sort of coming up with ideas, helping other people work through their ideas, working through pitches together mm. and sort of booking you know external guests so celebrities and bands and i went to see a lot of boy bands right yeah so yeah. Uh, people can date their almost their childhood from who was in blue peter so yeah. i was john noakes valerie singleton uh peter purvis I yeah. Think. yeah 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 so there we are there we go, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, was, it was a very iconic show and it was it was an amazing Billy baxter and all that, yeah. Billy baxter yeah <laughs> good and so anyway we're, we're, we're looking this morning at um um apologetics can we start with uh, questions that look at our approach to showing faith in general? Just, just you know, um, generally. Let's um, let's look at the, the issues of uh, how can you share your faith using the kind of God language which makes it obvious and turns people off. So. Um I'm really challenged um, by a quote that Bonhoeffer said, which mm. was um, that your life as a Christian should should mm. make non-believers question mm. their disbelief. And I think actually a lot of um, kind of how we do faith in a natural way almost doesn't even involve talking. It's about mm. just living a really radical life oh. that kind of helps people to question their own disbelief. And I was speaking a few um, weeks ago at the Premier Digital Conference on kind of living, living a life... Um, 
that challenges the apathetic online mm. and I think there's a lot that can be related to online and offline and I think one of the things that we really need to be as Christians is real I think so much of, of this world mm. you know we live in a kind of Photoshop culture where everyone just puts like their best foot mm. forward and I think a lot of it is kind of shining a light on that and, and being really real in our struggles as well and showing mm. how God can kind of come into our struggles mm. um, and then the other thing as well I think it's really important that we just love people I think love is banded around and it's been so mm. diluted but actually love in that kind of agape Christ-like sense because mm. actually so many people people are drawn first of all to a Christian community or a Christian person who really loves them before they kind of mm. um, even even come to God um, initially and then I think as well particularly when we're talking about young people I think it's really important that we learn to speak their language mm. and kind of look at what they're interested in so um, you know words like righteousness what the heck does that mean to oh, a 16 year old oh. who's never set foot in church um, and apologists always quote Acts 17 but there's a reason they do that because actually Paul is in Athens and so he doesn't use the scriptures which he would use if he was speaking to Jews he quotes one of their poems and I think for our young people maybe that's music maybe it's um, other things that they're into and I think actually it's a real challenge for us to kind of enter culture's narratives and redefine them in light of the gospel and and use that to kind of point people to God and obviously the the main thing we need to do is pray um, Mm. because I think it's all very well for us to have these techniques of how to reach people in, in a in a um in a natural way but actually the best thing we can do is get on our knees and ask god to sort of soften their hearts because if the spirit's not in it then they're not going to be changed sure sure and so i think one one of the young people you know who was asking these questions was was uh, facing the 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 issue of being aggressively attacked Mm. kind of thing and they kind of felt like you know I, i don't really know the answer but i feel like i need to keep the side you know uh, yeah um represent the, yeah. the, the faith well so so the first thing I'd say is a, a lot of the time when someone is asking something aggressively mm. there's a lot of pain behind mm. why, why they're asking that and I think no one I don't think ever asks a purely intellectual question mm. particularly if it's around issues like suffering and things like mm. that there's often a reason they're asking that so I would say um, first of all just if you can get to the bottom of why they're asking mm. that question because that might give you a real insight into mm. into what they're really asking um, and I would say in in all circumstances really try and ask questions mm-hmm. to kind of find out a little bit more about where they're coming from but also it, it kind of takes it off um, it puts them on the it, it puts the ball back in their court effectively mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, you know if they're saying well why do you think that the bible is so reliable blah 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 you could say well uh, um if you have some answers great but you could say why don't you think it's reliable and actually what would it take for you to think it's reliable because mm-hmm. then you're sort of honing down what their issue is and actually you're just as much as we've got to defend what we believe they also have to defend what they believe and it might well be that they've not really thought about what they believe they're just kind of parroting you know their parents answers in the same mm-hmm. way that we might be parenting ours but I, th- I so I think asking questions can be a really helpful thing because also it shows that we really care about them as well we're not just kind of giving off our, our ready-made perfectly pruned mm-hmm. answers we're saying well what do you think about that um and also I think that there's a great book by Gregory Kukul called Tactics and it talks about mm. how to ask questions and things like that um, and he says that you should never use a statement when a question will do and I think that's quite a challenging thing and, and it's almost the last thing you want to do but Jesus used loads of questions mm. when he was talking to people he quite often answered a question with a question um, and I think the last thing I would say it's absolutely fine to say I don't know mm. I think so often we think we need to come up with an answer because um, like you said we don't want to let the side down but I think actually again when it comes to young people it's more important to be authentic and if you don't know just say I don't know but don't leave it there you could then say well I I actually really want to know that as well because I don't want a faith Mm. that's not kind of intellectually credible therefore why don't we look into that together and actually that can be a really helpful Mm. um, 
you know you could bond really well as a friend in that as well and i think if they really want to know the answer to the question that they're asking they will be they'd be really up for looking at that together right. so the name again gregory gregory kukul how do you, how do you spell that k-o-u-k-l Okay, and, and it's called tactics. tactics. Okay, yeah. thank you. That's, yeah. that's it's not particularly for young people, that's, but it's right. but it is a helpful book. It's brilliant. Yeah. Good. Okay, well let's let's move on to to particular questions that um that sometimes come up, not just for the young people, of course, mm. but um beyond. And and the first is you know God is apparently good, and yet what about suffering in the world? Is mm -hmm. the is the classic? It's it's as you as you intimated earlier. Sometimes it's the question behind some yeah. of the aggression that people feel because they feel the pain of life. Yeah. Um. So. so how would you help a young person who's trying to address that? Particularly because for some of them, they've maybe not experienced lots. I mean, yeah. some have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the, the first thing, just the way you framed that question, the first thing I'd probably pick up is kind of the apparently good thing. What mm. makes you think that God is good? Um, mm. What would you say that a good God would do? Um, you know, why do you think he's good? Um, and sort of unpack all of that. But I guess then I'd say if he wasn't good or he didn't exist, how would you answer the problem of suffering? Because I think actually sometimes looking at different options and then looking at Christianity can be a really helpful thing. Right. So looking at the atheist perspective, you know, someone like Richard Dawkins would say that you can't even ask about why there's suffering because it's just part of the natural world. And kind of to ask why is to impose meaning on a world that doesn't have meaning. And so therefore he would say that actually we're our own solution. Um, we don't have someone outside of us to help us. So that would be kind of, this is very much pigeonholing their view. And I'm so... I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that would be an atheist perspective. If you're looking at kind of Eastern religions, they would say that the reason we're suffering is because we're so attached to the world. And therefore the way that we get away from our suffering is kind of take ourselves out of it through things like meditation. So for instance, the Buddhist word nirvana literally means extinction. It's kind of extinguishing the world, extinguishing your personality. So again, I would say to a young person, I don't think that's a particularly livable situation because it's saying that you've got to just take yourself out of the world. And then you get to kind of the monotheistic religions and something like Islam would say that God, um, that Allah is kind of in charge of everything. You know, the word Islam literally means submission. Um, and therefore, if there's suffering in the world, it's got to have been willed by Allah because nothing is more powerful than him. And so in an Islamic view, again, this is very um, narrow. I'm sure there's lots of different things within Islam, but they would say that if you're suffering, it's because Allah's willed it and therefore to kind of question it is, is blasphemy. Then you get to um, Judaism and Christianity, which would say that actually suffering was never God's intention in the first place. He created the world good um, and actually suffering crept in when we began to turn away. And for, for Jews, the kind of the future hope of alleviation of suffering is through the Messiah, whereas for Christianity, the kind of the hope for suffering is in Jesus's life, death and resurrection. So then I would quickly talk a young person through Jesus's life, death and resurrection. So something like the Christmas passage, um, John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, the fact that God didn't stay distant, but he came into the world, into our mess, into our pain. And then I'd take them on to John 11, which obviously the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mm. But if you look at the two Greek words either side of John 11:22, he uses, um, John uses a Greek word for weep that actually means to snort like an angry horse. That's the literal Greek translation. The fact that Jesus mm. wasn't just upset, he was angry. His best mate in the, in the world has died and his reaction is exactly what ours would have been. So talking them through the fact that Jesus's life shows that he went through everything that we went through. Mm. Um, but then looking at his death and he, he experienced the ultimate suffering, which means that actually the thing that we're most afraid of, Jesus has been there. And I think I'd very quickly talk them through the fact that um, 
that Jesus' death was so costly and why it was so costly. So I talk about forgiveness mm. and the fact that, so I quite often use the example, um, a few years ago, my my husband is obsessed with cars. So we've got a really nice Alfa Romeo. And my sister once sort of pulled the door handle open and the handle came off in her hand. Right. Um, and so we were kind of faced with the option, do we, do we make her pay for the handle or do we say, do you know what, I forgive you, it's <laughs> fine. Um, we chose to forgive her and not make her pay, but but someone's still got to pay. Either we wander around with a broken door handle or we have to pay from our own money. And I think that's quite a helpful mm. um, way of looking at forgiveness. And actually, God couldn't just click his fingers and say, right, I forgive you. Something had to be done. There had to be a cost. And actually, Jesus took that cost on the cross. So I think while the, the suffering of Jesus on the cross... Um, it doesn't it doesn't explain away our suffering but it does show us a god of love who loved us so much that he would suffer in the most extreme way and taste separation from his father so there was um a slightly cheesy sort of christian poem as i was growing up which says i asked jesus how much he loved me this much he said and he stretched out his arms and died mm. and i just think that's a really helpful thing for a young person to say look this is how much he loves you it might not explain your suffering but this is how much he loves you so his life his death and then his resurrection and actually if if the if jesus's death was the end then there really is no hope but actually jesus's death looks forward to his resurrection and it says quite clearly in 1 corinthians 15 that if if the death had been the end then our, our faith is in vain um, and so the idea that actually we look forward to a future hope where it one, one day will all be okay and, and a verse that I use a lot with young people is Revelation 21 verse 4 which talks about God wiping away our tears and there'll be no more pain and suffering and sorrow all these things will be gone forever and the fact that actually John Lennox talks about the fact that it says that God himself will wipe away your tears like that mm. is the God we serve who's gentle enough to actually wipe our tears away um, for something that you know your eyes are so sensitive but it's God God's hand himself so I talk them through the life death and resurrection of Jesus and talk about the fact that our God has been there and I think the last thing I'd say is if um if a young person sort of falls over and cuts their knee and is crying you don't go up to them and explain to them that the red stuff is blood and they're crying because they mm. fell over and they were falling over because they were running too quickly you just pick them up and you cuddle them and actually I think a lot of the time particularly with our young people if you were to give them a rational answer for why they're suffering you know it happened because of this and this that would not satisfy their deep heart desire and actually we don't have a God who's necessarily given us a perfect answer but we've had a God who's come into the pain and picked us up and holds us in our suffering so that's kind of what I'd say to a young person you're listening to the Leadership File with me Andy Peck I'm joined this week by Ruth Jackson Deputy Editor of uh, Promo Youth and Children's Work I'm Head of Youth Apologetics at Premier <laughs> Radio. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Ruth Jackson. Uh, we're looking at how we can help our young people um, understand Christian faith in order to share it and the kind of questions that, uh, that they face themselves or particularly uh, receive the face with just before the, um, uh, the break. Uh, Ruth was outlining very helpfully the... Uh, how we would answer the, the whole issue of, of, of suffering and we had to go to a break but um, we're back now and, and, and Ruth the next two questions are kind of connected to this the one is the the, the God causing apparent suffering and that's the violence in the mm -hmm. Old Testament which is a an issue for some and then we'll come on to uh, I suppose that the, the big issue of, of hell itself and, and how you might uh, address that and what your views are on that because there's uh, various various uh, insights so 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 First, then, let's go to Joshua and, uh, you know, what, what the text seems to say, wiping out the Canaanites mm -hmm. in, in there. Uh, obviously, Richard Dawkins, with mm -hmm. one of the New Atheists, has, has lobbied this as uh, uh, Christians. And in fact, he I believe he paid for Bibles to be um, 
to be given to a school so because he thinks if they if they really read what the bible said they wouldn't want to follow follow god so yeah um, do you know just on that note i think dawkins is one of the best evangelists we have for the christian faith <laughs> i've met so many people who've become christians by kind of reading dawkins and being so put off by what sorry. he says um but I think I think this is a huge issue mm. for young people. And I think particularly the idea that maybe the God of the Old Testament is different mm. from the God of the New Testament. The God of the mm. Old Testament is violent and all of that. But I think we have to take a big picture of the Bible and mm. of God. And if you look at the Bible as a whole, it really is um, a love letter. It's it's a story of love of God constantly kind of winning his people back. So you've got to sort of see it within mm. that context. Um, you know, something like the prodigal son for me is a microcosm mm. of the entire gospel. So I would definitely sort of talk to our, our young people about the context of the overall view of, of the Bible and of of God and um, but then I'd also talk to them about the context of, of where these passages were happening and kind of what what the world was like outside of the biblical world um, so for instance Deuteronomy 20 it talks about how to do war um, and it talks about it, the biblical view of war is so countercultural to everyone else so it talks about um, a, a few people who will be exempt from fighting and it's people like that have just got married that have just planted mm. a vineyard that have just bought a field and actually the list is huge of the people who can be exempt from fighting and actually it talks about offer the city peace first um, and that's a really really countercultural thing so the context is that actually the way the bible does war is very different from how the other people were doing um, war which is one thing to say the other thing is that like i said it's always got to be the last resort um and that's very clear um in a lot of different passages in the bible so for instance nineveh um the story of jonah that's quite a famous context where god gives them a chance to repent and they do actually repent and then you see how angry mm. jonah is he's like i knew you were merciful i'm so angry you're too merciful yeah, yeah. and actually if you look at something like jonah where, where he says you're too merciful that doesn't fit in with what we think um sometimes mm. of the old testament god who's really wrathful jonah's saying you're too merciful um, and then the other thing is you've got to look at the context of judgment so if you look at some of the people like the Canaanites um, in Joshua actually some of the things they were doing were horrific so it talks in the Bible um, about child sacrifice mm. that particularly in Deuteronomy 13 they talk uh, De Deuteronomy 12 sorry it talks about that um, child sacrifice they were sacrificing their own children and actually some of the mm. practices that these people did were abhorrent and God um, doesn't want them to do that and he's and he w doesn't want them to kind of influence the Israelites mm. in what they're doing um, and actually I think I'll talk about this bit more when we talk about hell but a god of love um, has to be a god who judges things like that like actually mm. would we prefer a god who lets those things happen that's a question what sort of god um, would let those things mm. happen I is he not more of a um, pleasant god if he's stopping those awful things happening so it's got to be within the context of judgment and the other thing to say is that he uses our methods so actually war was something that was used at the time which doesn't doesn't necessarily make it right, mm. but it's it's like he's speaking our language. So if I was going to go and speak to a bunch of teenagers, I would probably wear my high top Nikes. I'd probably speak in their language. I'd mm. you know use language that I probably wouldn't use to a bunch of adults because they wouldn't understand what I was talking about. And in the same way, actually, God uses the language of the people, which is war in this context, and it's in a very limited time frame, which is why you don't see it in the New Testament. It was just for that time because that was how they dealt with stuff. And then you've also got to look at the um, the language that is used in these war passages, and actually. Um, there's something called war rhetoric, which is, you know, if I was playing um, hockey with someone, I don't even play hockey, that's a stupid example. It, say there's two football teams and mm. I say that Man City absolutely annihilated Man United. I don't literally mean that they killed all the players. It's, mm. it's a, you know, it's rhetoric. I'm saying mm. that they won. And actually with war rhetoric, when they talk about... Um, completely annihilate the people all of that that is war rhetoric and it probably the people at the time would have would have read that and known that it didn't mean every single person in the city was right. killed it's just a way of saying like it was a mm. it was a victory um and then also on that but 
um, because because you then see God says don't intermarry with those people and if they've completely annihilated the city who are they intermarrying Indeed, yeah. um, but then also within that particularly in the light of Joshua um, Jericho was a military city and actually the Hebrew word for thousand is also the same word as fully armed soldier so it might well be it might not have been but it might well be that when he when they're talking about um, wiping out thousands of people they could have actually just been wiping out army soldiers right. so that's important to bear in mind as well um, and then the last thing to say is that God God is a God of judgment and so all of this was kind of an act of judgment but he's also a God of mercy so I think we need to take mm. that in context um, and I'll probably talk about this verse a bit more later but 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says that um, God's desire is that no one would perish and I think that's mm. as much true for the Old Testament as it is for the New Testament he didn't want the Canaanites to perish mm. but actually if they're doing these awful things and they're continuing to do these awful things and they're sacrificing their children and they're you know influencing mm. everyone else around them then God's got to stop it because it's mm. not right no, it's splendid. Thank you so much, Ruth. That that's enormously helpful, and uh, and yeah, and this is going to help help grown ups and adults as well, very much. So so I mean, we've we've got um, just about five minutes or so to to look at Howler, which which may we you know. <laughs> Who needs more than five minutes? <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, there, there were diff- Christians have differ on, on on what the nature of hell, etc. So, um, but what would you, what do we, what are you going to say to young people about? So I would say the question that comes up most probably is not necessarily like what exactly hell looks like, Mm. but how could a good God send send someone to hell? Mm. Um, And I think the first thing to say is that Simon Ponsby in his book, The Lamb Winged, says that we should never talk about hell without tears in our eyes. I think that's a really helpful thing because actually, you know, it's it's a really... It's a really hard subject. It really is. And I think there's three things that we need to bear in mind when we're talking about hell. The idea of judgment, the Mm. idea of choice, and the idea of God's character, what God is like. Mm. Um, And when we're looking at judgment, again, we touched on this. um, Actually... A God who loves people, like it, so, if if a family member is horribly wronged, it's it's loving to want justice for that person. Mm-hmm. It's not loving to stand by and do nothing about it. And actually, judgment, um, it, it's funny. We think of judgment probably as as a bad thing, but that's often because we're on the wrong side of it. If we've done something wrong, we think judgment is a bad thing. If we've seen someone wronged, mm-hmm. we want judgment. We want justice. Um, so we've got to see hell in the context of judgment. Um, he can't be a God of love or a God of judgment. A God of love is a God of judgment mm-hmm. because, you know, when you see people wronged, you want to see justice. And actually, um, Michael Ott, who's an apologist, talks about um, the alternative to hell being much worse because that is a God who doesn't care. Um, so we've got to look at, at judgment, whether that's a, a popular thing or not. We've also got to look at choice. And I think it's important to say that um, God doesn't send us to hell. We choose hell. Mm. So um, C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce says that there's two types of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those who in the end, God, God says to us, thy will be done. Mm. And actually he talks about the fact that we have chosen hell um, and that anyone who, who desires not to be in hell won't be we won't be there because it's sure. a choice thing um and actually we choose that separation so romans three twenty three says that we've all fallen short mm. of the glory of god um but there is hope because of jesus's choice mm. and actually when jesus in the garden of gethsemane, gethsemane says not my will but your will and he chooses to lay down his life and he chooses to taste separation so that we don't have to so we have the choice because of jesus's choice like he's done everything that he can to rescue us mm. and actually we have the choice to then accept that and to choose to choose not to be in hell so judgment uh, choice and then it comes down to god's character and i think mm. actually the question is can we trust a god um to judge correctly and and i guess 
yeah can can we trust a god who is who is just but is also merciful and so can i based on what i know of god know that actually you know if a friend of mine dies if a friend of mine commits suicide that god will make the right decision because mm. i trust him i don't need to know which way it's going to go but i need to know that yeah. actually i can trust him and he's going to make the right decision brilliant well thank you i mean that was that was astonishing <laughs> in three or four minutes um you know time has defeated us but just just enough time if, if there are books um, obviously some listening are would I would like to explore are the books you recommend particularly uh, either for young people or for adults helping young people yeah so um I'm going to just take you to our website mm. which is premiereyouthwork.com forward slash apologetics mm-hmm. um that may have actually um run out now so it, but it should hopefully redirect you to the new website okay. but on there I've got book lists I've got a glossary for young people of some of those complicated words um, I've also got helpful web links um, so things like Reboot which is an, an initiative mm. of the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics for Youth Apologetics um, there's there's something called The Road which is um, a youth apologetics video ministry and then bethinking.org um which is for students but there's some stuff that might be helpful for young people there's actually not loads of stuff out there for young people but but the good stuff i've highlighted on that website um i've also got a blog as well which is ruthjjackson.wordpress.com um and what i've done on my blog is kind of uh, split it up into this is a good book on the cross this is a good book on other religions things like that so that that might That's be brilliant. helpful as well well thank you so much i mean this is you know this is crucial if we're going to help our, our the present church yeah, not just yeah. the future church the present church to reach uh, their friends for christ and yeah. um and also to have their faith bolstered and you've done enormous enormous help to us so thank you so much thank you so you've been listening to uh, leadership file this week with uh, ruth jackson ruth is uh, again deputy editor of premier youth and children's work um do go to premieryouthwork.com and uh, you can find out the um, details of resources, of books, etc. that Ruth would recommend. Uh, go to Premier's website and you can uh, uh, go get this show again on demand. And I think you'll probably want to go back and listen to Ruth's excellent uh, description and argument um, if you want to uh, get it close in your own mind and head. Uh, ready to help your young people uh, serve Christ where God's placed them. So thank you for tuning in. Look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. God bless. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.